Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Dire need that we have to confess our sins. Second Corinthians four verse seven. We'll read seven through twelve for our call to confession, and then the next few verses for the assurance of pardon. Hear God's word. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but life in you. Thus far the reading of God's word. These days we realize the frailty of life. Paul says here in that first verse, verse 7, that we hold the treasure of the gospel in earthen vessels or jars of clay, another translation. He's talking about our weak lives and bodies, so easily breakable. And we do take plenty of hits, hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. Paul is talking about his life here as an apostle of the gospel, but it's a pattern that applies broadly to all believers. We are weak, damaged, and frail, but we have a treasure within, the life and the gospel of Christ. This should prompt us to see and to confess many sins. First, we often see ourselves as unbreakable when we are not. We exalt ourselves, we deny we've been hurt, we hurt others out of our own hurt, we refuse to admit that, all because we are unbreakable. Or we may chase an idol of security, uh, not content with being the jar of clay that God has made us. We're obsessed with remaking ourselves as steel. Uh, second, we are too easily crushed and despairing when God does send us trials. Discouragement is understandable, but despair refuses to look to God in trust and hope. So let's continue looking to him. And last, from verse 10, we refuse to carry about in our lives the dying of the Lord Jesus. We downplay it or ignore it, or maybe ashamed of the cross, or the idea that the death of Jesus would be meaningful for people today. We chase after life apart from his death. We don't want to lay down our life to help others. We'd rather seize the day for ourselves than to have to taste sacrifice and death first. So with all this in mind, let us confess our sins before Almighty God. Please kneel if you are able to do so, right there in your living rooms or dining rooms, wherever you are. And I'll pray our prayer of confession. cleansed us of our sins. He is now consecrating us as we lift up praises, as we read his word and confess our faith together. 
We now turn again to God's word and to consider it as we uh, hear it preached. John 11. And I've have something rather unique I'm going to do for the next two weeks. I'm going to read through uh, all the first 44 verses of John 11, uh, both this week and next. And hopefully that will make sense why I'm doing that as I go through it today. So it's going to be a two-part sermon on the same passage uh, this week and next. Uh, so let's read John 11, 1 through 44. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and his sister Martha. And it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night... He stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Mary and Martha to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, 
Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him, and let him go. The grass withers and the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. Oh, wow, what a story. It's more than a story. It is uh, truth from God's word. It is an accurate historical account of uh, Jesus' seventh sign in the Gospel of John. Uh, quite the climax to the, the first half of his book. There's a lot of emotion in this passage and uh, conflicting emotion. And there's also, though, a, a very uh, intricate structure. It's one of the places in Scripture, and this is something that's true for a pattern in our lives, where, where there needs to be form and, and also uh, passion. There needs to be um, structure and also energy. And you have that in spades in, in John chapter 11. You see the energy, the, the, the grief, the passion. Jesus wept, the famous uh, short verse of the Bible. There's also the structure, and I think you see that in your bulletin. Let's see what I've got there. Under the sermon theme, the re res uh, resurrection and presence of Christ comforts his followers in their trials and griefs. The comfort is the main idea I want to focus on today. And you see the outline. Skip past the outline a minute and look at that uh, CH word, chiasm, is how you say that. I think I've talked about a chiasm before. Oh, I see the, the formatting might be off. Oh, uh, shucks. Well, maybe it isn't. On mine it is. If it's all centered, then this will be kind of messed up. If you have a left justified uh, text, then you see the, the indent get bigger and bigger until the middle F and then go out again. Uh, so the idea here is that the, the F, the middle, is the most important part of the chapter or of this passage. So the passage, chiasm, I like to call it a kind of a sandwich theory, right? So A and A, the first and the last points go together. And then the second middle, uh, second and second to last points go together. Same until you get all the way to the middle. Uh, and the middle, of course, the famous I am the resurrection and the life. So uh, there's a, a structure going on here to that. Uh, so I'm going to kind of follow that structure and take those first last point and then the second second last point. Uh, like that as, as we go through. Uh, now the first point I'm going to save for the end, his anointing and our loosing. So let's begin in verse 2 and 3 and 4. Lazarus's sickness is for God's glory. 
So the first point to make here is that true Christians get sick too. Uh, we're not of that health uh, and wealth gospel type that say if you just have enough faith, you won't get sick. No, Lazarus is a, a friend and believer in the Lord, and he gets sick and he dies. It doesn't mean God is displeased. It's often for the good of our soul uh, to experience uh, sickness and difficulty and even uh, the death of loved ones. Uh, it reminds us of our need for God. It makes us long for heaven and to not be so bound to earthly things. It teaches us to hope in the Lord. And so they come and they tell Jesus in verse 3. They don't tell him what to do. Uh, they just tell him, your friend Lazarus is sick. Uh, and uh, we should remember uh, at this point with all the virus stuff going on today, uh, there is help in um, earthly means, in doctors and medicine, and we should use that. But our first response in trouble is to cry out to Jesus. And that's what these friends do. They come to Jesus and tell him. Jesus says, verse 4, this sickness is not unto death. But then, interestingly, then Lazarus dies. So Jesus is always having a longer-term perspective than we are. Uh, the sickness is not unto death. Even though he's going to die, it's not to the end. The, the, the end result won't be death. So uh, that's something for us to remember. There's, there's promises in the Old Testament. Uh, Psalm 125 and Psalm 103, I think Psalm 91 as well, uh, that tell us in a very straightforward manner, God will heal all your diseases. The righteous will never be moved. And those are often difficult verses for us, especially in, in times of pandemic. What do you mean God's going to heal all, all our diseases? Well, he will, but he has a longer-term perspective than we're having. So we have hard times that, we, that he puts us through, and those are for the glory of God. Uh, when adversity comes, uh, there are mysterious ways in which God uh, works to show his glory more than when things are running smoothly. Uh, and that's, we often don't understand the details of that, especially when we're, when we're in pain in the midst of it. But it's true nonetheless. Your difficulties are, are a small pointer to Christ's suffering for the glory of God. That's one way. Lazarus's sickness and death for the glory of God. That's a sign pointing us to Christ's suffering and death for the glory of God. So Paul, uh, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, suffering believers ought not to despair. When you suffer for doing good, you're following in Christ's steps. So take heart, uh, be encouraged, even through uh, difficulties. Uh, verse 5 points out for us that Jesus has a special relationship with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. The Bible doesn't tell us anything more about that. We get really curious about that sometimes. Uh, but we don't have a complete history of events in the Bible. Uh, we have what we need to know God uh, and how he deals with us. Uh, so sometimes we're interested in speculating, well, what was this like? I mean, who, uh, when did that friendship form? What was it like? Who, where were they all the time? We don't know, uh, but Jesus loves them. And there's a, a key to Christ's humanity there, that Jesus did have special friends uh, that he had deeper relationships with. That's true for all of us, and we ought to pay attention to that and uh, steward those relationships well. Uh, well, the next point in the outline, where is Jesus? Uh, verses 5 through 15, there's a big long section here about, well, shall we go? When are we going to go? Uh, why would we do that? Uh, notice the timing, uh, verse 6. Uh, they, Jesus stays two more days and then says, let's go. 
And when he gets there, verse 17 says, Lazarus has been in the tomb four days already. And it would take about a day to travel to, to Bethany from where Jesus was. So probably Lazarus died about when the messenger uh, tells Jesus that he's sick. Uh, the point there is that Jesus doesn't wait until he dies and then go. Uh, but neither does Jesus rush to be there as soon as possible, right? G Jesus, that would be our natural response, right? You hear somebody sick, oh, let's go. Uh, but Jesus shows up when it will be most helpful, uh, and, and not right when we think he should, right? We, we think he ought, should have left right away when he heard the news. But no, Jesus, and often it feels to us like Jesus shows up too late, right? Mary and Martha say, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And that, that may be true, and that's a wonderful statement of their faith in Jesus, to heal Lazarus. But they say it as if hope is past. He's dead now. What can anybody do? Uh, so consider your own troubles in this light. Because Jesus can raise the dead, he can manage your crisis, whatever it is, even when it feels too late, even when it feels like hope is past. That when we're caught up in the heat and the pressure of trials, that doesn't it feel to you, like it, I've had this before, it feels like, it, Lord, things have to be fixed in this way today, tonight at the latest, or it'll never happen, and the world's going to fall apart. Like, if, if things don't change now, they never will. And we find ourselves despairingly asking, where is Jesus? He's four days too late. But no, he's not too late. He shows up when it's most helpful for us. And in this case, it's most helpful for, for Jesus to show up four days late, to letting everybody know Lazarus is really dead, we know for sure, and then to resurrect him. That's what's most helpful at this point. Jesus knows it. So after two days, Jesus heads for Judea. Uh, John doesn't say Bethany, notice, this, the exact town where they live, but Judea which raises the idea of the Jews, who in chapters 9 and 10 and 8 and before were looking to arrest and stone Jesus, right? And the disciples remember that. Bethany's only a mile or two from Jerusalem. You know, put that in, in uh, some modern event language. It would be like a speaker on a college campus today. Have you heard about this recently? Especially conservative speakers will get rioted off the stage or there'll be boycotts by the students saying, you know, don't have him come. You know, this kind of thing has happened recently. And it would be like that speaker going back the next week and scheduling and saying, let's set up a speaking appointment at that same college. <laughs> and his secretary says, you're going where? Yeah, we need to go back. So Jesus walks toward the danger because the time for him to do his work is now, verse 9. He's walking in the light. Uh, Thomas pipes up, uh, and it's not real obvious in the text here, but this is the, the same doubting Thomas. This is the resolved pessimist, determined not to believe unless he sees the nail prints in Jesus' hands. So when Jesus tells the disciples they know where he's going in chapter 14 of John, Thomas just flatly contradicts him. Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. We don't know. We don't know. Not going to believe. Let's go die with him. This is Thomas's, um, what's the Pooh character? Is it Eeyore? Is that the right? Uh, uh, he's got that kind of bent, personality-wise. Now, Thomas's resolve isn't totally off the mark. We should be ready to follow Jesus, even if it means going into the jaws of opposition, persecution, defeat, and death. 
even if there's sickness and death in our immediate future. We need to follow Jesus, even if our culture is in a death spiral at the moment, like it is. But our focus should not be entirely, let's go die with Jesus. We have to be ready for that. But Jesus has a greater purpose beyond that. We must also see beyond with the eyes of faith that our sickness is not unto death. That isn't the end. Well, God's going to restore all things. He's building his church now. So, yes, face the suffering and difficulty head on. Don't downplay it. But there's more to, to God's plan than that. And this is why Jesus speaks as he does in verse 11. Lazarus is sleeping. He isn't minimizing the gravity of death. He's not tiptoeing around an impolite topic. He's pointing beyond it. Uh, Paul does this too. Uh, I speak concerning those who have fallen asleep. Uh, the Thessalonians wondered what had happened to their church members who died. I thought Jesus was going to come again. So Paul talks about it in the same way. Well, they've slept. Why? Because they're going to wake up again. Their, their resurrection is that sure. When you sleep, you know you're going to wake up again. So our troubles and our sins, uh, the death of our loved ones, these things are not the last word. Thomas has a hard time believing it, but he's willing to go die with Jesus. Uh, so notice when it comes to it, though, he isn't willing. If you think ahead in this Passion Week to Gethsemane, right? What do the disciples do when the soldiers, when Judas shows up? They all run away. Thomas did too. So our resolutions made out of despair or frustration or just thinking we can do it, those resolutions often do not stand. We, we need to uh, commit ourselves to the Lord, but we need to trust God. Well, uh, next point is that Jesus is moved, verses 28 to 37. Uh, and, and here notice that I'm skipping some of the, the sections that we'll look at next Sunday that focus more on resurrection. So verses 28 to 37, Jesus is troubled. Uh, verse 33, I'm in now. He's uh, deeply moved, groaned in the spirit. Uh, and, and notice, this is Jesus doing this. Uh, I think that's worth pausing and thinking about. It is not wrong to be moved in this way, to be full of sorrow. J.C. Ryle uh, says it this way, deep feeling is not a thing of which we need to be ashamed. To be cold and stoical and unmoved in the sight of sorrow is no sign of grace. That's J.C. Ryle. So the boundary is just to not lose sight of our hope. Our emotion may break loose at times, at the pain of separation, of loss. That isn't the same thing as losing hope. Jesus never sinned, and he doesn't sin here, as he's deeply troubled and weeping, groaning in spirit. Uh, so he's at the tomb, and he says, roll the stone away. Uh, Jesus enters into their sorrow. Uh, we sing about this during Advent in Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Uh, come to earth to taste our sadness. Uh, so when, you know, sometimes we wonder why the Bible includes certain details. This is a good point to wonder that. Why does Jesus have them roll the stone away and have Martha mention the stench? <laughs> that well, you're, you're tasting a, a real human uh, thing there. There's, there's no part of life on earth too painful or too sinful that Jesus can't deal with. But this emotion that Jesus has, it's not only sorrow. Uh, the word here, groaning in the spirit, it also implies anger as well as sorrow. Uh, Jesus is not just sad with us. 
He's also deeply upset, irate, at the mess that we're in. The wages of sin is death, and that isn't just an abstract thing. Jesus knows how sin ravages our lives, makes us miserable, and it makes him mad. He's not angry at you. He knows best that the evil one comes to steal and kill and destroy, and he comes to give you life. There have been several times in my uh, ministry where I've walked away from a hospital visit, uh, groaning in the spirit, God, I hate cancer. Or, or I'm walking away from a family counseling session, groaning, God, I hate what pride and self-deceit do to family relationships. That's kind of what's going on here. Jesus is weeping with those who weep, but this shows why he left his majesty, why he came into our misery. He came to fix it because it moves him so to restore us. God so loved the world, he gave us his son. Uh, so uh, there's that, um, there's that uh, urgency, anger even, uh, troubled in a um, frustrated and going to do something to fix this kind of way. That's what uh, moves Jesus to us. And, and when he's with us, he mourns with those who mourn. Uh, that's the next point in the outline. Notice how much of this chapter is taken up with people going to comfort Lazarus's sisters. Uh, the first 16 verses of the chapter, all about the problem of going to Judea or not. We should go, but when should we go? And the, the Pharisees are there, the Sadducees are there. But, but the whole problem is we should go be with those who are now mourning. Yeah, Jesus says in verse 7, let's go to him. Uh and you have comfort a whole bunch of other times. Comfort could be another chiasm line in verses 19 and 31. It's on both sides of, of the main point. The Jerusalem Jews, in verses 18 and 19, uh, come out to be with them. And the Jews are mentioned again in verse 31. The Jews who uh, were comforting her. So uh, Jesus is mourning with those who mourn. The Jews are coming to mourn with those who mourn. <clears throat> Uh, one way it's good for the soul uh, when we go through difficulties is that when that hardship comes near, it gives us a different and a better perspective on life. And that often happens as others come near us in our trouble and spend time with us. Uh, think of Job having this with his friends and how awfully that went when they started talking, right? It's a tender moment. Uh, and it can go very well. It can go badly, uh, as it did with Job. But we need to be with one another in our grief. That's what makes part of this, what we're going through right now, so hard, right? That, that's what makes this a hardship. Sometimes it feels kind of fun and different because, yeah, let's watch on the computer church this time. Well, well, that's fun. We don't have to drive anywhere. There are some upsides to that. But there are deep downsides to this. We, we're, we can't be together. And that's critical. So the Jews and Jesus in Bethany together. Uh, now, death puts a different atmosphere on things, right? If you think back to John 8, they're ready to pick up stones to stone him. They're in the, at the height of this intense theological discussion. They're totally at odds. They want to kill him for blasphemy, and he escapes out of, the, out of their midst. Now, they're together in a different kind of setting. <laughs> Very interesting. And uh, there's no point of discussion, no picking up of stones. They remark how Jesus is moved. See how he loved him. And I, uh, just in reading this, I d didn't think to mention this until I was reading it. 
But notice the, the conflicting emotions. Our emotions get very intense in hard times, and they're often uh, very at odds, right? Verse 35, 36, that Jesus weeping, and the Jews saying, see how he loved him? And then verse 37 is another intense emotion that's completely different. And they say, couldn't he have kept this man from dying? He could have been here sooner. That's, that's kind of the second guessing that's going on. You see this today, right now, in current events. It, it's it's uh, striking uh, how I, I see um, videos or updates from ER nurses who talk about how awful things were last night, how many people died on their watch, how they died, and they're just their faces are drawn and haggard. It's amazing. And then I go to the national press conferences and see all this second guessing. Well, what if you guys had done this? What have you done this? It's the exact same thing. This is human nature. When, when, when intense hardship comes to us, we have all these different responses that, that really can set us at odds with one another, and we have to be careful about that. Well, uh, moving along here, uh, this is a moment of grief uh, here in verse 37. Uh, Ecclesiastes says it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Uh, that's true, it's better, but it's not always easier. Uh, but God takes us there sometimes. Another uh, kind of a side point I wanted to mention about this, uh, the, the, in, I don't know if it's a side point, there, there's so much text to give into people coming to be together. And that's one of the traditions that we have in grief. Um, traditions are a very important thing uh, in intense emotional times uh, because uh, our emotions will drive us off the rails very quickly. It's not usually a good idea to have the one who's grieving determine how everything goes. Uh, you, you've got customs that are a better guide than the one person in a high state of emotion. Uh, so one thing that, that, that comes up is, um, you know, you have someone like Mary and Martha here. Why, why have someone who's grieving the loss of their brother, why have them go through visitation and have all these people come into their house right after her? The, the, their loved one has died. Why make her face all those people when she might just want to rest? You see the, the point there? There's a very individualist streak that we have that might just want to defer everything to the, the individual. Well, the reason why not is because we've realized over generations of people dying that those grieving need to be with loved ones, even when it's emotionally exhausting. It's true, it is. In the short term, it's harder. But there's a real need met there. So traditions in grief are, are an important thing. Well, let's uh, move on to the last point this morning. Uh, uh, Christ's anointing and our loosing. And this point comes, for, again, from the very beginning of the text, verses 1 and 2, and the very end, verse 44. Uh, in verse 2, John reminds us of Mary anointing Jesus with expensive uh, oil, perfume. And Jesus says in Matthew 26 that she did that for his burial. So his anointing uh, unto his death leads to our loosing from death. And that's kind of the point of the loosing of the grave clothes at the end. That's one of the grossest parts of this text. And again, it points to the glory of God. You've got the wiping feet with hair referred to at the beginning of the chapter. That's kind of gross. <laughs> that's, that's weird. That's uh, intimate. Uh, and it's an anointing pointing to burial. 
unwrapping Lazarus's grave clothes. Imagine the trepidation after four days being dead. I mean, he's alive and he's walking, but after four days, what's that going to look like? But, but, and these gross things, they point us to the cross of Jesus, to the grave clothes lying in his empty tomb. When Jesus tells them to roll the stone away from Lazarus's tomb, they object. He's been dead four days. But Jesus enters into the most sorrowful, the most sinful, the grossest parts of your life and of this world. And he will redeem those. He will redeem your hurt and restore this world. What's, what's more gross than a crucifixion? But there we see how God will do it. There we see the glory of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you come to us in our grief, in our hardships. We pray, Lord, that by your Spirit we would register your presence in hardships such as what we're going through right now. Lord, you are able to make your presence, your compassion, your truth known in each dining room and living room, in each family, in this church, in your church around the world, right at this moment. Lord, come to us in our grief, in our difficulties. Lord, meet with us, be present with us, bless us by turning our hearts towards you. We thank you for uh, the the great love that you have shown to us that makes your son groan in spirit in seeing and experiencing our troubles. Thank you that he has not only mourned with us, but that he has come and accomplished our restoration from it. All this, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus, the Lamb of God, the one who entered triumphantly on this day. And we sing as he taught us to pray. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I dot com. Again, thank you and blessings.